a little bit. You know, last week, um, last week I was in Lancaster with the Bible quizzing crew, but I heard after the service that during our worship service, we had 21 kids from fourth grade or from four years old to first grade, 21 kids who were in children's church and 25 children who were in our Waterway 2-5 program. That is second grade through fifth grade. And so we had 21 kids in a classroom over there and 25 kids in the fellowship hall, um, 46 of them from four years old to fifth grade last week. I don't know if you get to see all of that from where you're sitting, uh, but that blew me away. And that was exciting to me that we have an opportunity as a church uh, to minister to, to those little kids and to those young lives. Now today, um, I wanted to think about a phrase that I've heard more than once from people I've invited to church. And I don't know if you've ever heard this. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? Well, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to come to Waterway Church, but I'm afraid the building would burn down when I walked in. Have you ever heard somebody say something like that? Oh, I'm afraid your new building would collapse if I walked in on Sunday morning. And the first thing I usually say is, well, we've had good architects. It's not going to collapse, and we've got a great sprinkler system. So even if there's a fire that gets started, we can take care of things. But if there's an opportunity to be serious... What I like to remind people of and what I think we need to remember here today is that gatherings on Sunday morning are not for people who have life together. I mean, we look like it because you all are dressed very nicely and you put on your church clothes and some of you have on your church face today. You didn't have it on when you drove in the driveway, but somewhere between the car and the front door, you put on your church face because we know how to act, right? We know how to, how to look happy and put together, even though it feels like life is falling apart. It's kind of a shame that we do that, I think. I mean, it's natural. I do it. I don't show you all of who I am all the time. There are some things that just don't feel appropriate to share sometimes, right? Sometimes I don't want my frustration or my hard day or my argument at home to spill over upon my friends, but I think it's possible that sometimes in our desires to kind of be put together that we give the impression that, well, we're all fine. I think we can give the impression that we're all doing just okay here. We don't really need Jesus. We just get together because he likes us to be here. I think that's a wrong impression of the church. That's not the truth of who this church is is or who any church is. All of us, every one of us in this room, even those who have had a great morning already, even those of us who've had a great week, even those of us who are living our best lives now, all of us have junk in our lives that doesn't just stop when we walk through the church door, but sometimes we put on a face that makes it look like it. And that makes it hard for us to really deal with the things we struggle. It makes it hard for us to really lean on our brothers and sisters for the kind of support that's available. And it can make it hard for those who are maybe a little bit new to our church gatherings to feel like there's any place for them because I feel like I'm the only one here with problems. Everybody else looks so well put together. Even their kids are acting good I mean, have any of you ever been a little bit nervous that your kids were going to be the ones making a fuss because all the other little boys and girls are just wonderful? 
Well, if you've ever been worried about that, I'd invite you right now to walk across the hall <laughs> and look at all the boys and girls who are over there. And I'll tell you, we've got some wonderful kids here at Waterway, but none of them are perfect. And they haven't all learned to put on a church face yet when mom and dad are sitting in here. And so if you want to see the universal nature of people who are in need, go look at the kids. But I'm telling you this today because today I want to talk about the church. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to pause our study of the book of Mark. We'll get back to that after Easter. We'll come back to it. We've done a number of months and a number of chapters out of Mark. It's been really helpful to be reading that gospel. But I want to pause here these next couple of weeks and think about what does it really mean to be the church? Because sometimes we get the wrong impression of the word. We think of church as a place. We're going to church today. How many of you have ever said that? I'm going to church on Sunday. This is the kind of language that I grew up with. And it's not, it's not evil language. It's not stuff that we do on purpose. But, you know, we go to, we often even say we go to the church because we built a new church. Because here we sit in church. In Scripture, church is talked about as the gathered group of believers. It's not a building. It's not... It's not a place. It's not even an activity. Church is the body of Christ. And so I want to talk about that with you these next couple of weeks and think about how do we really live this out. Last week, my friend Marlon Nafsager preached about the church, the beautiful bride. Some of you remember that message, don't you? He talked about a couple of different aspects of the church. He talked about being the church. Marlon, because he grew up going to church. Marlon, because he grew up thinking about the church, because he spent his career ministering to the church. Marlon also talked about being together as the church. And there were some great challenges in there, some things that challenged me. He preached about Ephesians 5 and, and the last part of that chapter. Today, I'd like to talk to you about being the beautiful bride. How do we do that? And I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. And so these verses are kind of the preamble to what Marlon talked about last week. So let's look at these together. In Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul, this is, um, this is a generation after Christ lived on this earth. Within, within 20 or 30 years of when Christ died on the cross and, and rose from the grave. So this is pretty early, right? And the Apostle Paul was writing to a gathered group of believers who happened to be in the city of Ephesus. Okay, so he writes this to the church at Ephesus. And the church wouldn't have had an address that he could send the letter and like, you know, the mailman put it in the envelope. Now, or the mailman put the envelope in the mailbox. Now it's finally been delivered to the church. No, it was delivered to the church when someone took this letter, stood up and read it aloud to the group of people gathered there. And so this letter, this, this part of the Bible that we call Ephesians was a letter written to the church at Ephesus to the people who were the Ephesians. And so here is what Paul wrote to them. He said, follow God's example as dearly loved children. Underline that in your Bible or highlight it on your device. Dearly loved children. He's writing to these people who are the church, these people who are saved. They're followers of Jesus Christ. And he says they are dearly loved children. Okay? Follow God's example and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This morning in our Exploring Membership class, which went way too long and jammed a couple of you up as you tried to go get your kids, I apologize for that. I'm the teacher of that class, and I don't know when to stop talking. 
We have an exploring membership class full of people who have been attending here for a little while and, and are thinking about taking next steps as far as are they ready to become baptized or if they've been baptized already, are they, do they want to become members of this church? This morning we talked about, okay, what does it mean that Christ gave himself up for us? And how do we live that out in some of the political and some of the confrontational ways? How do we give ourselves up following God's example? Well, here is what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. In verse 3, he said, Among you, now again, he's speaking to these people who are, these are saved people. This is the church, all right? It's not just the general population of Ephesus. It's the church at Ephesus. He says, Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. In other words, Paul is saying, you people are, are God's anointed ones. You've come to Christ to be saved, and Christ has saved you. And so now that should affect the way that you live. Your salvation should affect your actions. And so Paul goes on teaching. He says in verse 4, there should not be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, frankly, as a little boy and as a younger man, I enjoy, I enjoyed coarse joking. Sometimes I would engage in foolish talk. But, you know, I, I had this impression because I grew up in the church that there are some things that you don't say <coughs> at church, right? There are some jokes that you can tell on the playground that you couldn't tell in the Sunday school class. And if I had an opportunity to go back and talk to my 10-year-old self, I'd say, why is that? Now, eventually... People did talk to me about that, and I got the lesson. But you know, as a little guy, and how many of you were in the same boat? You knew that there were things that you could get away with outside that you couldn't get away with <clears throat> at church. Here's Paul saying, no, as you are the body of Christ, that shouldn't be anywhere. There shouldn't be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. That's out of place, not just in a particular building at a certain time on Sunday morning, but he's saying in your lives as God followers, that's out of place. You are God's holy people. Verse five, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And this is where this sermon has a really dangerous temptation to go into the place where I just stand up here and say, Christians, here is how you ought to live. Now straighten out and do it. Christians, the Bible clearly says this, and so this is how you need to live. Kate, get your life straight. Get things in order. Destiny, what are you doing? Stop with all that crazy talk. That doesn't fit you. And I could yell at you because it's easy to yell. But there's something really important being talked about here in Ephesians 5 that is not only a message that says, Christians, make your lives right. That's in here. There is teaching, and it's important teaching, but that's not all that's being said. Look at what else is being said here. We're being told that all of this immorality, all of this impurity, all of this greed is really just idolatry. Do you see that little phrase in there? This you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Early in the Ten Commandments, 
God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And if you have any kind of a God, anything that you worship, anything that you give your life to that is not the Lord, well, then you're an idolater. That's idolatry. You're worshiping that. You're giving that your time and your attention and your investment. So what's being said here in Ephesians is that all this immorality stuff and all this greedy stuff and and all of this impurity stuff, that's just idolatry. That's stuff that you're going after more than you're going after the Lord. And so why does a person who is immoral, impure, or greedy, why do they have no inheritance? What is Ephesians telling us? Is it telling us that immoral or impure or greedy people can't be saved? No, it's not saying that. Because all of us at one time or another have been immoral, impure, or greedy. What it's saying is that people who are defined by these things do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Who did Paul address this letter to? He said, you all dearly loved children. You're to follow God's example. And so he's talking to them and saying, look, there are none who have an inheritance who are immoral or impure or greedy people because those people are idolaters and idolaters don't worship God. And if you don't worship God and if you don't have a salvation through God, there's no inheritance for you. He's saying, As Paul has said over and over in all of his letters, he says, if you come to Jesus Christ, there is an inheritance for you. But a sign sign of a problem is the fact that you are still immersed and defined by your immorality, impurity, or greediness, rather than being defined as a dearly loved child. Paul is simply stating, everyone can come to the Lord, but some have not. And so those people are idolaters. They are still living out of their humanity. But when we give our lives to Christ and live out his salvation and have an inheritance, those things are no longer the markers of our lives, all right? No one is disqualified from coming to Jesus Christ as long as they're alive. Paul is simply saying there are some who have not come to Jesus Christ, immorals, impurity, greedy people, and they don't have any inheritance, It's important that that's understood. He goes on in verse number six. Let no one deceive you with empty words, right? Let no no one make things sound good. Because of those empty words, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. He's speaking to the church and says, don't let your lives be unified with the hypocrites. There are people who have legitimate needs and they're not saying, oh, I follow God. They're just saying, I'm in need. Paul says, absolutely, give your life for them. But there are people, and he was writing to these Ephesians nearly 2,000 years ago. There are people who say, oh, I'm, I'm good with God. Me and God are tight. Me and God, oh, and, and they make a good show. They have a great church face. But really at the base of their life is immorality and impurity and greed. They're actually idolaters. They don't really have an inheritance with Christ. Paul says, don't do that. Dearly loved children, don't be part of that. You see what he's calling us to? He's not just calling us to be good. He's calling us to be honest. He's calling us to be true and to be faithful. And he's calling us to be submitted to the Lord in such a way that our whole life reflects God and not just the words that we say. Don't be partners with those fakes. Why? Look at verse eight. Because you were once darkness. Paul here is saying, none of you saved yourselves in the first place. None of you had such great, amazing things going on. All of you 
were darkness. You were all sinners. But now you are light in the Lord. Why? Because he's writing to the church, and these people are dearly loved children of God. He says, live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. See, the identity of those of us who are in Christ is different than it once was. We used to be darkness, but we're light now. And others can be light too, but many choose not to be. And then when we come to this place that we call church, when we gather together, some of us, we know that our position has changed. We used to be wicked, and now we are saved. But some of us forget the reality of who we used to be. And and so we give the impression that there's nothing that's ever been wrong with us. And Paul is just saying, church, live as children of light. Don't live as hypocrites. Just be honest with who you are and with what you need because Jesus Christ saves all who come to him in need. Paul goes on and says in verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. That is why it's said, wake up sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine from you. In other words, reject the fruitless deeds of darkness, expose them. They're shameful to mention. We don't casually talk about sin. But because of what Jesus Christ has done in those who are believers, we can shine our light, so to speak, so that the distinction between good and bad can be seen. See, Christ is using us. Christ is working through us, not because we're so amazing, but because we've given ourselves to him and he's doing a work in us and through us. That's what's happening here at church. And so we don't wallow. Boy, I said that's what's happening here at church, didn't I? Old habits are hard to break. When we gather here as the church, we don't revel in all the darkness we used to be part of. Oh, you should have seen me when I was younger. I was out. No, no, we don't tell all those stories as if it's some kind of proud thing. Those those deeds of darkness, they're, they're shameful even to mention what was done in secret. But all of us here ought to, ought to be able to acknowledge that none of the goodness that's in us is from us. It all comes from Jesus Christ. It all comes from being children of the Lord. It all comes from him laying his life down so that we might have life through him. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Let Christ shine on you. Paul says to these Ephesians, verse 15, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And the Lord's will is that we continue to gather together, helping each other, not just putting on our fakeness, not just just speaking about things of which we know nothing, but also not hiding the reality of what Christ has done. Just simply sharing with each other, I was a child of darkness and now I'm a child of light. You might be struggling. How can I help you? And all of us together saying, we've all struggled. How can we help each other? Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Paul gets particular with a few more things. Don't get drunk on wine, he said, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. We've done that already today, right? We're going to do it some more. Keep at it, church. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is at that point, then, when we arrive at the key verse that Marlon spoke about last week, verse 21. As Paul writes to the church, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to, look out 
for each other. Lay yourselves down for each other out of reverence for Christ. All of this stuff in Ephesians is stuff that we're supposed to be doing together. And this is really countercultural in a society that says, you just do you. You be who you need to be. You be true to yourself. You follow your heart. Paul is saying here, no, all of this stuff, we want to live in a holy way so that God is giving glory. And we can do that because of what Jesus Christ has done in us. But we can't do it if we're going to be fake. We can't do it if we're going to be hypocritical idolaters. And we can't do it if we're just by ourselves all the time thinking about how great we are and how messed up everybody else is. He says, submit, church, to one another out of reverence for Christ. We should be working toward doing all of these things as individuals to live out our faith, but these are also things that we must be doing as a corporate body to live out our faith. Romans 12 says that we're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, and live in harmony with one another. The Christian life is not one just lived in your closet by yourself. This is hard sometimes to live out our faith together. It's a pain sometimes because we annoy each other. Have you ever been annoyed by someone else who's sitting in this room right now? Yeah, I haven't. None of you have ever annoyed me. But I'm sure that some of you have annoyed each other. But if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we understand that we're part of the same family, and sometimes family members do annoy each other. Sometimes brothers and sisters, they're all children of the same parents, but they can annoy each other. Yes, we do from time to time grate on each other because we're still people on this side of heaven. But yet the call is to submit ourselves to each other so that we can be a place where all of us as children grow up in this family closer and closer to our Father God. And the reality is that very few of us can live this way on our own. Sometimes it seems easier to be on our own. Sometimes it seems easier to separate ourselves out and just kind of retreat for a while. You know, it's, it's just so much nicer. What did Marlon say to be a pajama Christian sometimes? Because I'd just rather not have to deal with all those people. I know. But the reality is that it's really hard to live for God on our own. Ephesians is one of these letters. It's, it's an epistle of the New Testament. That means there is an apostle, in this case it's Paul, who's writing a letter, and it's addressed here to a church. There's other ones like there's other letters in the Bible. There's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Romans. These are all written to particular churches. And all these letters, we remember that there is a group of people who are being encouraged to live and think and worship in these ways together. We're not called to live out our lives all by ourselves. Do you remember why Jesus came to earth in the first place? Because nobody was good enough to live for God without him. See, the church is the body of Christ. And still, none of us is good enough to live for God without Jesus. We live for Jesus as a body, though. We need each other. None of us can do it on our own. If we could do it on our own, Christ wouldn't have had to come. But he did come because he could see how helpless we are on our own. Oh, the devil, he's, he's clever. Just divide him and conquer him. One by one, split them off from the herd, and he can take us out. But together, there's great power as the body of Christ. And, and Paul knew that. God knew that. That's why all these letters are written to these churches. That's why we read them today, so that we can be an encouragement to each other to stay together. One of those books that Paul wrote was, was Colossians. It was written to the people in Coloss or Colossi, depending on how you'd like to pronounce it. That was another one of those cities in that Greek and Roman world. And here's what Paul wrote to that church. He said, the Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
In him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Christ and for Christ. He is before all things, and in him, in him, all things hold together. Colossians goes on, not to get too distracted, but it's a fantastic piece of scripture. It says that Christ is the head of the body, which is the church. Do you hear that? Christ is our head. We are all part of the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the body. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ, and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And here's what Paul wrote to those people in Colossae. He said, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Here in Colossians, Paul is telling those people, and we hear it today through the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus came so that we could be presented holy in God's sight. And what is the language all through these letters to the church that this happens when we work at it together, when we live together? But there is a great temptation in many societies, but especially in our society today, to try to do these things alone. And often I find, I, I find people in my world swinging beside two ends of a pendulum. I need some help. Brandon and Ethan, I think you guys look like fantastic helpers. Would you guys come up here and join me? I don't want you to get bored this morning. Ethan, I need you to stand over here. And Brandon, I need you to stand over here. Now you're both going to be wrong today. Are you ready for that? You're both going to be wrong. And just for a moment, because you're pretending, you're going to be wrong with boldness. I know none of you have ever done that before. None of you would ever even think about that in real life. But here's how you're going to be wrong. Ethan, when I point to you, you're going to say this. All that matters is that I'm here on Sunday. Because I've heard people say this. I don't know if you've heard people say this, and certainly none of you have ever said this. But I've heard people say that as long as I'm in church, God is happy with me. As long as I'm in church, I'm good. And so what you're going to say is all that matters is I'm here. All that matters is I'm here. A little more. All that matters is I'm here. Now don't tell me because I know you're lying. Tell them. And that's one mistake that too many people in our culture make. But there's another mistake that many people in our culture make. And there are some people that say that, well, being here doesn't matter at all. It, it, it doesn't matter. Say, being here doesn't matter at all. No, no, come on, Brandon, more. Being here doesn't matter at all. No, mom and dad have just gotten here. You didn't want to come. You didn't feel like it. And they're saying, but it's important to be at church. And so you said, being here doesn't matter at all. Right. Church is just a place, right? God is with me, and so I'm good. I don't need to be there. Being here doesn't matter at all. And people that I know in my world can fall into the trap of going to one side of the pendulum or the other when we start talking about being the church. Because people, again, get confused and they start thinking about being at church and what's it mean. Even those of us who are church people get sometimes confused. And, and some of us, we, we just kind of focus on where we are and we say, All that matters and, and, and we ignore what's really happening in our hearts. We do the thing that Paul said not to do in Ephesians. We just, we talk about it all, whereas really inside we're greedy and we're idolaters and we're immoral. But, but we're here, so we say, and, 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 and you know, some of us grew up with folks like that. Maybe that's a thing of the older generation. 
right? That, those institutional folks who just like to be part of the club. And so, so those of us who are young and hip, we've said, I'm not part of a country club church. When they say, All that matters is I'm I say, Brandon, we were working up to it. So, but, but sometimes we say, being here doesn't matter at all. Being here doesn't matter at all. And so we've heard the one side of the pendulum. And, and we've heard Ethan say, no, all that matters is I'm here. And I'm here every Sunday. And, I'm, and I have my suit. And I have my tie. And did you see how nicely my children walked in here? And did you see how my wife and, and how, did you see how I'm, I'm the teacher of the... And, and yeah, see, Ethan gets it, right? Isn't and because Being, or wait, <laughs> you're not going to believe this, but I didn't coach them at all before this. They didn't know they were. Some people have said, all that matters is I'm here. and so we say, no, 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 that's not all that matters. But then we go into we go into the error that says being here doesn't matter at all. Yeah, and, and you can see you can see the problem, right? And, and probably for most of us who are in the under 50 crowd, not strictly, but I'm just kind of making some generalizations here. For those of us who are in the under 50 crowd, we say, no, my relationship with Christ is not going to be compromised by the people around me. My relationship with Christ is strong no matter where I am. Now that's true, right? And the Holy Spirit can speak through me no matter where I am. That's, that's true. And we say, I can be a witness no matter where I am. And that's all true. But then we go one more step and we say something that's not true and we say, Being here matters? <laughs> You're doing a great job, Brandon. You're doing a great job. That's, that's it. Being here matters? Right? That's what he's supposed to say, Joey. But he said the same thing. Being here matters? Like, what's the point? Being here doesn't make any difference. I don't need to be around all those people. I don't need to be around those hypocrites. These are the things that we say. I don't, I don't need to be in any particular place to worship God. Being here doesn't matter at all. Being here doesn't matter at all. And we don't want to be that guy who says, all that matters is being here. Right. I'm here, so I'm good. That's pretty much don't it. say anything to me. I'm in church every week, buddy. Every single week. Every single week. But we also can't get to the place where we say being here doesn't matter at all. I could just stay home. I could just be by myself and I'm just fine. Because that doesn't work. That's called hypocrisy. I know. And, and, and the people who say that, me? I am so offended. See, that doesn't work and a lot of us know it. But we fall into this trap over here. And we say, well, being here doesn't matter at all. I, mean, I, I, can, be, I can be a Christian at the beach. To that I say, Amen. I can be a Christian at the mountains. To that I say, amen. I can be a Christian at the ball game. Sure you can. I can be a Christian at work. Yes, you can. I can even be a Christian if I'm sitting at home watching it on TV. Yes, you can. But that doesn't mean that being here doesn't matter. Well done. You guys can sit down. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See, there's this in-between spot. And, and I know I had Ethan... And I had Brandon talk about being here. When I say being here, I mean not just here in this place. I mean among this crowd of witnesses gathering as the church. It, it matters to get together. It's not the only thing. Because you can be here and be a total fraud and be a total fake. 
And, and there are some of you here right now who are really new to all this. You don't know what you think yet. That's okay, right? Remember, you don't have to have your whole act together to be able to come and join. No, no, there are a lot of people here who are still figuring things out, still learning. What's this Jesus thing all about? I, how do I believe this? How do I, right? This isn't a hypocrisy thing that says, get your life together first. No, we acknowledge there's all kinds of situations that come here and the doors are open. But we can't say, well, just because I'm here, now I'm good. It's not a checklist that, well, I, I, I was at Waterway on Sunday morning, so I can check that off, and now I don't have to think about God again until next week when I go back to Waterway. No, it's not a checklist like that. And, and so we get that. But, but how many of you have fallen into the spot, especially, now, now understand me, and Marlon said this, I think, pretty well last week. There are reasons not to be in this place at a certain time. There are reasons why maybe you can't join the gathered body. There are all kinds of health reasons we've had in the last two years, all kinds of COVID stuff, and however you feel about that, there, it's a complex, complicated time, okay? There are people who are not here today because they are sick for one reason or another. They stayed home. God bless them. Help them to be better. And I pray that they are encouraged as they watch this service later. Hello, those of you who are going to be watching us through YouTube. And there are times when we go away on family vacation. Sometimes we're called away on business trips. Sometimes we can't be in the place that we're used to being on a Sunday morning. Hey, that happens. But some of us have fallen into this trap of saying being here matters. Some of us have really fallen into the trap and said being here doesn't matter at all. That, that doesn't seem like the truth either, does it? Because here's the thing, God can speak to us all over the place, but if we're going to really live out this Christian life, I have found that I can't do it by myself. I need help, and you help me. You help me. It helps me to be here on a Sunday morning and just be around you, to see how you interact with each other. I can't tell you how many things Melanie and I have learned about marriage just by watching you. We don't do all the things that all of you do, because not every example is exemplary. We've learned a lot from you. We've learned a lot. I've learned a lot how to be a father from watching you fathers in this room who have done it well and learning from those of you who have made mistakes. I've learned a lot from you. Just, just being here and being together, not necessarily through a class that we taught or anything that you even knew that you were doing, but I was watching and I've learned from you. I've been watching you. Some of you I've been watching for almost 20 years now and I've been seeing how you interact with other people around you. I see the effect that you have on the people around you. And those of you who have a positive effect on others, I'm trying to be like you. And those of you who make other people like kind of cower and wince and walk away, I'm trying to learn from you too and not fall into your same mistakes. Do you see what I'm talking about? There's a great value in me to be here just to learn stuff. And I can go home and, and there have been times that I've done it. I can, I can sit one of the things that I do from time to time because I'm often here working on Sunday mornings is I'll, I'll watch a video from a different church on a Sunday night or usually on a Monday just to kind of have sort of my own worship. And I can do that at home. And I can sing at home along with their band or their praise team or whoever they have. And, and I, I can do that. But it doesn't very often inspire me the way it does when I stand here and sing and worship with you. There is something about being together as the gathered body of Christ? Is it because you're just so much more amazing in the way that you sound than I am when I'm in my living room? Well, yes and no. There is something about music that can stir up the heart. 
But there's something about being together. And when I get to stand right, this, this is in all seriousness, one of the joys of sitting here in the front. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. Kate, I don't know if you've heard this. But when you stand down here in the front and, and we're singing, to have 200 people behind you and be able to hear all that, oh, it's glorious. Not just because the music is really nice, but because of what's being done. We're worshiping God. And, and there's this sense that, that we're doing it together. That helps me. That helps me. I can't tell you how many times I have, I have come to media or I've come to Waterway on a Sunday morning and I didn't want to be there. I know, it's dangerous for the preacher to admit. You don't always feel like going to work either, okay? But there are times that I woke up on Sunday morning and I didn't feel it. I mean, I, I knew what I was doing. I knew what my call was, but I didn't feel like being here. There's an accountability that comes with employment. There's an accountability that comes with knowing that, that once I get here, God is going to do something. That's what I know. And I can't tell you how many times I've even come into a worship service just feeling like, okay, God, whatever. I, I guess whatever you need. And by the time I'm done singing, I'm at, I'm at 11 out of 10, and now I'm ready to go. Because there's something about that worship time that does something for me. And it's not because I finally got to sing. It's because I'm together with you. And as the body of Christ, something happens when we're together. I feel that. Do you feel that sometimes? You get here and you don't want to get here and the kids are annoying you and your spouse, oh, this morning they were just, and, and then you got here and, and dry, okay, everybody put on our church face and some of your family's not as good at putting on church face and that's annoying because now somebody's going to ask me questions. Now what are they going to do? And oh, there's that person in the lobby. And by the time that you got to worship service, you, you were just not feeling it at all. Have any of you ever left the worship service feeling better? Just kind of released from some of that? Is it because there's magic in here? Is it because the seats are so comfortable or because the band is so good or the preacher was really on today? No, there is, even if all those things are true, there is something about being together. Do you hear what I'm saying, church? But we fall into these traps, and so many in our society fall into the trap of saying, well, you know, as long as I'm here, I'm good enough. We say, I don't want to be that guy. And so instead of stopping at the healthy middle that says, I've got work in my life to do, but I'm going to do it here together, and there's value in being together, and we really get to be together, especially on Sunday mornings, so I'm going to invest in this time. Instead of stopping here at the middle, we swing all the way over here and said, forget all of it. I'll just be with God wherever I am. And the danger with this position is that oftentimes this isolates us, and oftentimes we miss that encouragement that comes with being together, and it might last for a little while, but most people who end up at this spot by their choosing. Now, some people are isolated because things happen in life. And God ministers in all kinds of ways, okay? Hear me. But some people who choose to separate themselves out from the gathered body of believers, some people really start to struggle in their personal faith that they think is going to sustain them. And that personal faith just erodes. And I can't tell you how many people I've seen, they just end up over here saying, what church are we even talking about? I don't even know because that faith leaks. That's the danger that I see over here. Church, church, I'm talking to you. You're the church. I'm not talking to the walls. They can't hear me. Church, 
And even if you are watching online today because you're not close by or you weren't able to be here, or maybe, maybe you're right now you're feeling like you should be here, but you're just not, we're with you. And thank you for being with us. But there is value in being here, church. There is value in being here because we are the body of Christ. And when bodies get separated from each other, you cut off a hand, that hand's not going to last very long on its own. And some of us are saying, no, I can last on my own. I don't think it works that way. I just want to encourage us all to make sure that we're not putting on something fake and, and, and we're not pretending like everything's okay because sometimes it's not okay. We come here with all of our stuff. We need help with this. We can be honest with each other. We should be honest with each other because this is where we find help among the body of Christ. I know I'm saying a lot of things today. What I'm trying to do is tie this all back together and say there is great value in being a child of God and there is incredible blessing in being children of God together that helps us to live our lives in a way that we really can't do very well on our own, that helps us to be holy in all these ways that Paul is encouraging the church that's so hard to do on our own. And so as we worship together, we are strengthened it's why we have Sunday morning times. It's why we have worship night like we're going to have on next Sunday where we, where we sing together for a while and then have some snacks. It's why we take communion together. In about two weeks on April 14th, it's Thursday before Easter, we're going to have a Maundy Thursday service here, a communion service. April 14th, 7 o'clock, time to eat together, take communion, wash feet and share testimonies. It's why we learn together in small groups and in Sunday school classes. Next week, new Sunday school electives are starting up. In the library, we've got a class about women in the church. It's not a ladies' class. It's not just for you ladies, but a class studying some different characters of the Bible. We've got another class that's going to be starting in the fellowship hall. Pastor Steve's teaching about how to live out our faith in turbulent times. And, of course, we have our, our uh, lesson that's been going on, our adult Sunday school class here in the sanctuary. And we've got Sunday school classes in children's church and all this stuff for the kids. Why? You can... You can read any of this stuff on your own at home. I mean, we're blessed in the world that we live in. There's lots of stuff that we can click that's no good for us, but there's a lot of good stuff we can click too. You can read till your heart's content, learn about Jesus, learn about how to live it. But there is something about being together, talking about it, praying about it together that helps us to do it better. Church is not a place. Church is who we are. We need to encourage our friends around us that the walls are not going to fall down. It's not going to catch fire when they get here because the church is built for people like that to come in and be put back together by the power and saving grace of Jesus Christ. This is our hope. This must be our practice. We've got to avoid the, the errors of saying church gatherings are everything or saying that church gatherings are nothing. No, they're important we are called to live individually in such a way that we give glory to God even when we're not here. I wonder, I wonder, church, could we pray together? Would you join me in prayer? Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for giving us hope and giving us a future. Thank you for rescuing us from our sin and from our past Thank you for rescuing us, Lord, from ourselves. I thank you, God, that we don't have to do things on our own. I thank you that, that you fill us up and empower us and give us the ability to be here together so often. Lord, I pray for those who are feeling lonely right now, whether they're watching us 
on the screen or whether they're sitting here in this room, Lord, I pray for those who are feeling lonely. I pray that you would break down those walls somehow so that we can have relationships together that encourage each other the way I'm encouraged so many times by being here with my brothers and my sisters. Lord, help us not to take for granted the blessings that we have in being together, but help us also not to make any excuses for the things that we do when we're alone. Lord, just help us to live better for you, to live better for you so that you get glory. And not just by our own power, but by the power of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the power of your church working around us, lifting us up and encouraging us. Lord, we call on you for all of this because we know we can't do it ourselves. Thank you, God, for not expecting us to do it ourselves. And help us to take a pure and honest gospel message out to all those we meet. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing this final song, I'd like to let you know that this morning we have collected $15,988.36 that is going to be sent to relief work in Ukraine. These are our loaves and fishes, and now we trust that God will multiply them in that area, working at refugee work, working at um, working at humanitarian aid, and working with people we know who are on the ground right in that part of the world. So praise God. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, church, for the work that you've done together. We're going to sing a final song here. Um, They'll know we are Christians by our love. Um, Part of how we love is how we act. Okay, would you stand and, and join us as we sing?